Welcome to Musicians vs. the World. Dr. Flores Carbaggio is back, and this time we will be discussing the artistry of the conductor. And conductors take uh, both the glory and the blame if things go wrong. <laughs> Maybe you are a musician interested in becoming a professional conductor. Perhaps you play in an ensemble with an orchestra and want a better understanding of your music director. Or perhaps your only experience with a conductor is watching old Bugs Bunny cartoons and you're wondering what exactly is that person with a baton doing up there on stage? And maybe most importantly, you just love music and you're looking to hear a beautiful and touching story into its power. Well, this episode is for a person that fits into any of these categories. Dr. Jose Daniel Flores Carbaggio is the Opalka Family Artistic Director for Albany Pro Musica and organizer of the Pro Musica International Choral Festival. He is also conductor of the Vermont Symphony Orchestra Chorus and conductor in residence at UAlbany. His expertise is surpassed only by his passion and love for music. And I hope that you enjoy our telephone conversation with him into the mind and the very heart of the maestro. So, Dr. Jose Daniel Flores Carvaggio, thank you so much for speaking with us again today. I really appreciate you coming and speaking with me a second time. Oh, it's my pleasure. So today, I would love to talk with you a little bit more about conducting because you are such a gifted conductor. I was able to watch you in concert earlier this spring, and I was just amazed, and I loved watching you conduct. So I was hoping that you could give us a little bit more detail about conducting and about how you approach it. So I think first off, the best way to start is to ask you, what exactly does a conductor do? Well, thank you for your kind words. And um, this is a good question that I'm not sure we'll have um, just one answer. Uh, it's, it's a combination of things uh, when I think about the conductor's role. Uh, if I have to summarize it, I would talk about three three aspects of conducting. The first one is the conductor needs to decide on the interpretation of the piece. So you can imagine you're conducting a group of people. They're usually very well-prepared, trained, uh, capable musicians. They have their own views of the music. Music is never black and white. There's so many ways that music could be done. The notation is not perfect. In cases, a mere suggestion from the composer. But uh, you also, in order to decide the interpretation, you need to study where the piece comes from, you know, the historical context, and so on. So you, your first responsibility is to decide what interpretation you're going to give to the piece. Um, then when you're there on stage, you need to keep the ensemble together. For instance, I am an organist where you play with both hands and both feet, and it's easy to coordinate when it's only you playing an instrument. But imagine coordinating an ensemble of over 50, sometimes 100 musicians on stage. So you need to keep the ensemble together in terms of uh, attack and release and speed uh, or tempo, all that, uh, dynamics. And it, perhaps if I have to choose the most important aspect of the conductor's role, the third one would be it, which is 
to inspire uh, performance and to inspire the audience. Uh, you do that in different ways. I would think the first way to do that is the moment you choose repertoire on a program, because believe me, sometimes there are programs we put together that is, is, it's very hard to get any inspiration from it. it. When you put a program together, at least in my book, you want it to be inspiring, not only the music that you'd like, but music that we have some appeal, not only to the performers, but also uh, to the audience. And, and when I talk about an inspired performance, I am talking of being expressive. Just far too often, we're too preoccupied with accuracy, and we want the performance to be uh, perfect. Uh, and we forget that we need to leave room for the heart. Uh, so an expressive performance, and a, a performance that communicates your emotions, the emotions from the composer, the emotion from the poetry, the emotion from the phrasing, from the different instruments, all that is, I think, essential. How do you as a conductor bring out the heart of your performers? Well, it has a lot to do with the way you shape the phrasings of a piece. For instance, I think of these in terms of large picture and a smaller picture uh, where when you look at the large picture you need to look at the form of the piece right like the exposition the development uh, uh, recap and so on and then the coda at the end all that in my opinion when you're conducting the audience need to know when each form of the piece comes right when the uh, recap comes at the end. Everybody should know that the conductor anticipates that. So you conduct the form of the piece, not only a repeat. In fact, that conducting a repeat is is really not that important. And then between each forms, you choose the peak of of each section, right? The climax, and that needs to be anticipated. It needs to be felt. It needs to be transmitted to the audience and, and to the performer. Performers. And um, and then within each one of those sections, you have the small phrases, and you need to choose how you do those phrases. Where are the pauses? When when do you do a tenuto? So um, with instrumental music, is a lot about the musical phrase. With choral music, is in addition to that, you analyze the poetry and the meaning of of what the choir is singing and you really you try to convey the message of the piece and the piece, again the message is is a dual message is a, is a musical message uh, and then there is a poetry or, or lyrics message so all that uh, is in play so it, it sounds like there's a lot of time in studying the score before you even get to rehearsal it is it is horrible i can tell you, uh, I, I find it sometimes just exhausting mm -hmm. because if you ask me what is the part of conducting that really stress me out, is is not having enough time for the most important aspect of conducting, which is precisely what you said. Studying. I have a colleague who once told me that he learned early in his life that that it was important to let go because we will never have enough time to study music and I I confess that I find that very hard. I don't want to let go. I want to be mm -hmm. well prepared. And but the reality is that there's never enough time. But you're absolutely right. It preparing the music it takes 
an incredible amount of time of analysis and research and so on. Well, absolutely. And especially you were talking about the different forms with, you know, the exposition and everything. There's all of that. But then especially with instrumental music, there are so many different counterpoints and counter melodies and the different voices and all of the different textures and different colors that you can bring out something and all of a sudden there's a completely different timbre to the entire section. And so I think that's just so fun. Yeah, there's so much yeah. creativity that can go into it as well. Oh, absolutely. Um, and you know, you, you need to think of the orchestra and as, and the chorus as well. You think of those as your own instrument. Let's say, let's say you're a violin player. Um, you choose your own interpretation and it's you with your instrument and it's, it's a very intimate relationship. When you're in front of a group, it is still your instrument. The orchestra becomes that instrument that you are playing. So it, it is a fascinating dynamic because you have their musicians who have their own idea. They, they want to convey their own interpretation at some point. And, and there's a point when you need to let them do that. Uh, again, because this is a relation of, relationship of respect with those musicians. But at the, in the end, it is your instrument, it is your interpretation. And conductors take uh, both the glory and the blame if things go wrong. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's, that's the balance we need to make. So what do you think makes a really good conductor? I think it's a combination of, of factors. Again, you need to have high musicianship. If you don't, don't even try it. <laughs> uh, and musicianship is is developed. I don't think you're born with it. Some people are more apt to it. But you need to develop that through hard study, many years of training. And I would add to that experience as a performer. Mm -hmm. I don't know how anyone could conduct if you're not a performer. Uh, so I think that's very important. I, I think it's very important to have a scholarly approach to conducting. In other words, you know, some people are better than others in uh, musicology, uh, remembering the history of, of uh, the music you're conducting, the, com the composer, etc. But regardless of your ability to have that kind of brain, you must do your homework and study about the pieces you're conducting so you, you present a, a scholarly uh, interpretation, not just what you feel should be okay, but, you know, research help you define as okay. I think a good conductor must have a clear gesture, and this is a point of controversy because there are some conductors out there who are phenomenal conductors who have a lousy gesture and that has been the case historically with different conductors and it still happens these days but i would argue that those conductors who were so gifted in helping an ensemble excel would have been so much more effective if they would have had a clear gesture so yeah. a clear gesture i think it helps tremendously. So that's another characteristic. Um, I, I would think, and this goes to the point you brought a moment ago, you will want to be very well prepared. A conductor who stands in a podium without preparing world music 
is just not respecting the music or the composer or the performers and the audience uh, either. So when I talk about being more prepared, I'm talking about not only knowing about the piece, but having a clear rehearsal technique in mind when you stand there, a very well-planned rehearsal. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it's like planning a class when you're a teacher. Uh, there's another quality, I would think, that a good conductor should have strong leadership. It's simply essential because you're standing in front of, uh, again, a group of people who expect to, to hear from you what the interpretation is going to be, and, and that requires leadership. But you also need to inspire people to want to come to work with you. Yes. Uh, so that's part of, of leadership. And let's see. Lastly, I would say that a good conductor needs a good balance between high expectations and compassion. You know, the, the music music business uh, requires, uh, it's part of our training to seek perfection, that we, we work a whole lifetime in seeking perfection. That sometimes could be sickening, you know. Um, yes. we, we get very demanding with ourselves and when we get very demanding with others. I, I, I think uh, we need to balance those demands with a sense of compassion and knowing that in most occasions, everyone is doing their best. Uh, you know, there's so many horror stories about directors who who just are merciless in, in rehearsal, in attacking those performers who don't do things the way he or she expects. And I, I don't think that's productive. I don't think that that helps uh, at all. So we need to also have a little bit of a, a good a good measure, I would say, a good measure of compassion for those who are working with us. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Do you have a director that you particularly admire or has inspired you throughout your career? Well, I could tell you that I think of every conducting teacher that I had because each one was so different. And I, I learned something different from each one uh, and very important. For instance, my first conducting teacher in Puerto Rico, his name was Angel, is Angel Matos. I, I owe him uh, so much that he taught me about the basics and about having high expectations. Talking about being demanding, he had a very strong personality. And I, I, I was very young when I started with him and then... After that, I was fortunate to come across another composer who had a, another director, I mean, who had a, a different approach. It was with him that I learned the value of compassion. You see, he was mm-hmm. a great contrast in style, in the way these two choral conductors related to their ensemble. And then after that, my instrumental conducting teacher, his name was Rosalind Pavon, the associate director of the symphony in Puerto Rico. And he had a, a, an impeccable, clear gesture. Mm-hmm. And he, I learned so much with him. I also learned some of the importance or the differences in, in dealing with an orchestra. By the way, I, I never forget one class with him in which very early on, I went in front of the ensemble with some of the same uh, habits from being a choral conductor, and I started 
talking to the ensemble on how I wanted things done. And this uh, teacher, who was not very compassionate, (laughs) (laughs) he did yell to me in front of the whole class and the ensemble from the back of the room and said, don't say it, do it. And what he told me was, use your gesture, just don't talk about it. And I'll never forget it, not only because I was embarrassed, but because Mm -hmm. he was right. So I learned that lesson early on, and that (laughs) um, has served me well. And um, in graduate school, I never forget um, Fred Stolfus, my Cora conducting teacher who with whom I learned great musicianship also I learned about the importance of conducting the form then with Don Moses uh, the head of the school in Illinois who was uh, also a mentor in conducting I learned about the differences in perspective when you're a choral conductor facing an orchestra. In fact, he has a, a wonderful book, which is called precisely uh, Facing the Orchestra, I think. Finally, I would say in my recent years, collaborating with different conductors, one that has had a great impact is Yannick, the conductor of the Philadelphia Orchestra, because I cannot believe how this guy being so young is so gifted. He's truly gifted. And and when I see him conducting, I I believe he basically puts together all those lessons that I learned uh, through my whole life of studying and of experience. And he does it all well. So I wow. have great respect for him. Wow. Well, I have to compliment you on your clarity um, because I'm a pianist and so I get called in quite a bit to either play for choirs or for orchestras. And when I play for choirs, of course, I'm there for all of the rehearsals. So I get to know the conductor very, very well and I get to see their conducting style and their ictus. I get I get comfortable with them so I can almost kind of anticipate about what they're going to be doing. But a lot of times when I play for orchestras, they'll just call me in for one or two rehearsals before the performance. And so I have very little time to get accustomed to a conducting style. And so I truly appreciate a very clear gesture (laughs) from conductors. What you you just said, Christine, is so important because that's precisely one of the differences. A choral conductor is in front of an ensemble for many weeks before they present a concert. And by definition, they're all kind of... uh, bad habits that we get into because we get used we get used to the ensemble knowing what we want they they learn to read through you your bad habits <laughs> because you've been working with them for a while and that's why that's one reason why many orchestras hate working with choral conductors it's just very sad <laughs> It really is very sad because uh, some color conductors have not spent time polishing their gesture. And when you're working with an orchestra, as you were said, it's usually 
two rehearsals, sometimes one. And if you don't have if you don't have a clear gesture, you're in trouble. Uh, so uh, this is why I am so grateful for having that, as I said, merciless instrumental uh, conducting teacher, my good friend now, <laughs> Rosalie Pavon. Uh, I am so grateful for how strict he was mm-hmm. in teaching the value of a good gesture that has served me so well. Oh, absolutely. As I was watching you conduct, I was thinking, oh, I could go follow him right now. He is excellent. So you are excellent at that clear gesture. Thank you. And that actually brings me to a point um, that I get asked quite a bit, actually, surprisingly a lot. I get friends coming up and asking me and they'll say, hey, I went to the symphony the other day and I could not understand what the music director was doing in the slightest. It seemed like they were just making these crazy gestures and I couldn't find the downbeat. They were so flabbergasted. And I said, well, you know, I didn't watch, so I'm not exactly sure. And I don't know what to answer about that. So could you answer that? What is what is going on with that conductor? Well, it, it's, it's very interesting because, you know, even a marvelous conductor like Yannick, the one that I just mentioned a moment ago, I have noticed that he does less and less lately of that beat that some people expect to see. And he's more focused in phrasing. Mm-hmm. And I've been thinking about that uh, a lot because because I am marveled on how he still keeps the ensemble together. And I think the reason is, is probably more than one factor. He knows when that clear beat is needed, mm-hmm. and then he goes in circles or doing other kind of gestures to show expressiveness and to shape each phrase. But the other thing is when you're in front of a very fine ensemble of musicians, um, they they probably need less of that beat. Uh, and um, I, I have also learned, for instance, uh, I was uh, uh, I studied with Helmut Rilling in in Oregon once, and I was there for an intensive training of uh, over two weeks. And there was a point in which uh, Helmut went uh, ahead of the orchestra for about three beats. I thought the performance was going to fail. I thought, oh my God, whatever happened here? He went so fast. He was ahead of the orchestra for for about three minutes and the orchestra stayed together. And I went to to speak with with a concert master afterwards and I said, hey, tell me, what in the world happened here? (laughs) And, And he told me, well, the orchestra stayed with me. Oh. So isn't that fascinating? You have a conductor who is so widely respected, uh, and, um, and 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 for good reasons. Herman Reeling is phenomenal, mm-hmm. uh, but but at at that point, the orchestra understood something is going on. We better stay together, and for that, let's look at the concert master. The you concert know, master, yes. There are all kind of dynamics uh, that happen. Uh, so I would not be quick to criticize someone who um, 
you may think what he's doing or she's doing on the podium is not very clear. Sometimes they really know what they're doing mm-hmm. and, and and the ensemble understands them even when the audience or those sitting in the back uh, may have a hard time trying to figure that out. <laughs> right. Going on, has there been a moment for you, either as a performer following a director or being the director, that really sticks out to you as a as a time that you just connected with the music and with your ensemble, and it was just an out of body sort of amazing experience? Have you had anything like that in your career? Oh yes, um, and well, it it, it has happened. At different occasions, different times. I need to choose to tell you about the most recent one. This one was uh, soon after my my mother passed. Uh, uh, my mother had a, a cancer that uh, was discovered on stage four, so it was a very quick. It was a very quick decay and and uh, and eventual death. And then um, I, I was by her bedside in hospice. Um, it was actually in the hospital just one day before going to hospice. And, and I, it, that was two weeks before I had to conduct a concert of the music of Ola Yale. And then uh, with the American String Quartet. And then um, while I was there, since I had all my music with me as I was preparing for this concert, um, I decided to play to her a recording and to read to her a poem uh, from one of those pieces that is called Across the Vast Eternal Sky. Uh, and and that, that, that poem has uh, some very poignant um, uh, lines about about life and death and transcendence, uh, and so uh, for instance, there's some lines that that say, um, "When I was young, I, I I flew in the velvet night, shining by day, a firebird bathed in light. Gray now my feathers, which once were red and gold, my destiny to soar up." to the sun. And then toward the end, this poetry says, um, do not despair that I am gone away. I will appear again when the sunset paints flames across the vast eternal sky. And and so it's, it's, it's a very powerful poem by Silvestri. And uh, I, I remember that when, when I played, when I read that to my mom and I played the music, she went to sleep. But then when she woke up, I thought she had not heard anything that I played for her or read. But then the first thing that she said when she woke up was, she did smile at me and she said, oh, that was so beautiful. And then... Um, I had a chance to write about this experience for this concert, and I did share that with with the performers. And um, you know, Christine, uh, when you conduct, as I said before, you're in control of that instrument that you're conducting, that you're playing, that you're performing on. But and 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 often you need to detach your emotions from from the work that you're doing so you can be effective so you're listening you're controlling your but but 
this time, just two weeks after Bob passed, uh, when this music started, and by the way, I had the composer, Ora Yellow on the piano, who who plays uh, so beautifully. And then as soon as he started on the piano, I lost control. I started weeping in front of the chorus and the ensemble, and um, and I lost control. Uh, and um, something very big, I thought and felt, happened. Uh, you see, the note that I wrote, which the choir and an uh, ensemble, the string ensemble, read. It was also in the program, and the audience knew what was happening. And um, and um, I felt like the ensemble came together to my rescue, the chorus came together to my rescue. The audience was there supporting me. And um, um, so uh, it, I, I think it was the most inspired performance I ever had. So even when my gesture was different, it was a point in which I even stopped conducting with my hands, and I was only conducting with my face expression and with my breathing and with my uh, profound sadness and pain. And um, during that moment, I can tell you, that even when I was a little bit out of control, it was my best performance ever as a conductor, which taught me many lessons. And, and, and one lesson was that when you trust an ensemble um, it, and, and they come together as one instrument, uh, miracles happen and and we were all responsible for a sublime performance uh, as i said i think the best i ever had uh, so of course that's that's the story thank you so much what a wonderful and touching story thank you thank you and and you know of course this also also reminded me of the amazing power of music and poetry. Uh, we talk about this all the time, but not always you give yourself chance to, to, to be moved by it because we're working the music, you see. You need to, we need to give us room as conductors and as performers to let the music speak to us. Uh, you're not only preaching to an audience, you're preaching to yourself. And, and I think that's part of what happened that day. Um, so that was another important lesson. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and your expertise and your passion for music and for conducting and sharing what a beautiful personal story with us. I just thank you so much for that and for your time. Well, thank you, Christine. It's, it's always a pleasure talking with you and and having to think about these uh, very good questions that you raise uh, teach me a lot. So uh, thank you for the opportunity. Musicians vs. the World is a production of Frosted Lens Entertainment in conjunction with Smith Sound Music. 
This episode was hosted and edited by me, Christine Smith, and produced by Russ Wilkes. A very special thanks to Dr. Jose Daniel Flores Carbaggio for spending his evening with us again and sharing his expertise. The music you are hearing now was featured in Dr. Flores Carbaggio's story about his mother and is entitled Across the Vast Eternal Sky by Ola Yelo. The music at the beginning of this episode was Requiem in Paradisum by Torres Santos. Both recordings were performed by Albany Pro Musica and directed by Dr. Flores Carbaggio. More performances can be found on Albany Pro Musica's YouTube channel. For tickets to a concert or more information about the Pro Musica International Choral Festival that we spoke about in our last episode, please visit Albany Pro Musica's website at albanypromusica.org. As always, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any future conversations. We can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. If there is a topic you'd like to discuss, come chat with us at Musicians vs. The World on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or just send us an email at info at frostedlens.com. Thanks so much. See you next time.